Okay, and the story begins. All right. <laughs> Reflecting back on the beginning of the chapter. So, so we're, we're in the middle of the chapter. We're on page 503. But reflecting back in the beginning, we were explaining that the foundation of our service to God is not actually love. Although love is integral, love is important, and we'll talk more about that. But the start, the beginning, and the foundation is awe, is respect, is reverence. Why is respect um, the starting point? Why is love not the starting point? Any thoughts, any reflections? Why is the starting point of a relationship? Uh, an ideal relationship should have both, right? The Zohar said that the two wings that enable the relationship to take flight are respect and love. We refer to those together generically as kavana. But you got to start from somewhere, right? And if you're just starting out in this relationship, respect is the ideal place to start from. That's the foundation. Why? Because you can respect somebody and not love them. Okay, definitely. Well, you could also love somebody and not respect them. Or at least think you love them, right? <laughs> it's like uh, respect is based upon uh, uh, value as opposed to... Um, uh, uh, as opposed to something that's could be fleeting, um, some something well as you said foundational. So, uh, yeah. Uh, it's more. Is it more thought process than love than than? Feeling? Okay. In other words, when you respect somebody, you value them. When you love someone, you experience them. Or what? What, what are the right words here? It's That's what I was at a loss for. The right it's words. Emotional. It's much more emotional. Respect could be emotional as well, but, but, but the difference is when love is not accompanied with respect, it's centered around ourselves. Love can be very selfish, right? Like the famous, um, I, I think we mentioned this last time, Dr. Rabbi Dr. Tursky of Blessed Memory used to, give the fish example. He calls it fish love. Somebody says, I, I love fish, or for me, it would be Diet Coke, right? I love fish. So he says, really? So what do you do to the fish? If you really love the fish. So he describes how he seasons it, how he pan sears it, how he presents it, and then how he eats it. He says, well, that's pretty selfish. You don't love that fish. <laughs> if you love the fish, you throw it back in the water. So he calls it fish love. <laughs> I don't love the fish. I love its taste. <laughs> love can be the, the Hebrew, the, the root word of the word love in Hebrew, ahava. The root word is hav, which means to give. That's a high level. That's a high level to experience. But, but yeah. the foundation, the foundation of, of a relationship in order to keep our love in check. So our love is not self-centered, but our love is love-centered. <laughs> The foundation has to be respect. They have to respect that individual as a, as a separate, uh, respect their values, respect their differences. And when it comes to God, it's no different, but perhaps to an even greater degree, the foundation is respect. And the reason is 
the real reason why love is not sufficient, why we need respect, is because we're commanded in the Torah to serve God. Love, respect, sorry, respect is associated with serving God. Love isn't. Take a look on page 503. So just just um, a quick a quick question. Yes. Um, you shall you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul. You shall love the Lord your God. Is that not a commandment? That is a commandment, one hundred percent. So there's there's three commandments. There's the commandment to love God. There's a commandment to revere God. And then there's a commandment to serve God. If you revere God you're really killing two birds with one stone. Because if you revere God, it takes service. It takes um, a deeper intentional effort and exertion to get there. Whereas if I just love God without revering him, I'm not actually serving him. So ex excellent question, 100%. So in other words, we're, we're, so, so to be clear, because I, I think you bring a very important and valid point. We're not saying that love is even a luxury. It is a commandment. It is a necessity. But if we are just jumping into this relationship, what am I going to prioritize? What are my values in how I conceive the relationship? What are my aspirations for this relationship? So take a look on page 503, the first bold paragraph. This is not the case, however, if you study Torah or observe a mitzvah out of love alone, without any basic obedience or reverence at that moment, it's not considered a service of God at all. Take a look on the bottom of 503. We're going to jump down. Service of God is necessary since the Torah has said, you shall serve God, your God, etc., and it is him that you shall serve, etc. So we have various verses throughout the Torah telling us that he needs to be served. Now, it's, a, it's kind of a funny thing. Like, why does God need to be served? <laughs> if God is perfect, he doesn't need my service. And if he's imperfect, why would I want to serve him? <laughs> God has what's called an occupational hazard. Um, it, occupational hazards are common teachers have occupational hazards as well rabbis have occupational hazards if I'm imperfect you don't want to hear from me and if I'm perfect you can't relate to me right God has that same exact occupational hazard why are we serving God there is a commandment to serve him what does it mean to serve him? To serve him means to do his will, but more than just on a performance level. To feel that I am his servant, I am here for him. Now, does he need to be served? Need is a strong word. God doesn't have the same needs that we have. Um, it's something that he has commanded us to do. Now, why this service is integral? 
you'll soon see with this next line how it all fits into play. Because the nature of reverence is service, it's centered around, the relationship centers around not ourselves, but God. It's a selfless model for our relationship. It's just, you know, it's the, the more I, I study this chapter and the more it kind of just makes sense. I was counseling this couple yesterday and the, there's such a strong focus on their perspective of is there love in this relationship? And that's important, obviously, there's, there's no question. But there isn't a strong focus on respect. In fact, there isn't any respect. So the love is not sustainable. <laughs> and they're always fighting because there's no respect. They don't respect one another. Now, it could be their behaviors or their... Um, their behaviors are they're doing things to make themselves be able to be less respected but the fact is there is no respect it the the love is going to have a hard time thriving a bird flapping with one wing isn't going to get very far <laughs> did they ever respect each other did they lose respect or they never had respect that's the question that's a good question it's a very good question. I don't know the answer. Did they ever serve each other? Was there ever a time where they actually did things out of service and not out of love? Um, definitely. Good question. Definitely. Behaviorally, for sure. So they Behaviorally did. Behaviorally, for sure. But, we need but, to sit you, in with you next week. You know <laughs> what? I, I, I should bring you guys all. I, I brought my... Uh... <laughs> we can give great life experience. <laughs> that would be great <laughs> I vote for the woman <laughs> yeah <laughs> take a look on page 504 a quote from the Zohar here's what the Zohar says top of 504 the bold paragraph and as the Zohar states in Parshas and Bahar the, the, the way the Zohar is structured, the Zohar is one of the earliest Kabbalistic works authored by Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, who lived in the time period of the Mishnah, just to give context to who he was, right? He was a student of Rabbi Akiva, to give historical context. And the way the book is structured is it's actually on the Parsha. It's, a, it's kind of like a Kabbalistic Midrash on the Parsha. And here's what he says, like an ox that must first have a yoke placed upon it so that it can become useful to the world. Likewise, a person must first accept the yoke of God's sovereign authority. And if this doesn't happen to him, holiness won't rest on him. If we want God's presence to openly reside with us, there has to be an obedience to God. If we want the ox to be productive, what happens if an ox doesn't have a yoke? It, it runs off. It runs off, right? And you have an ox. You have a field. 
but you don't have, but it's irrelevant. You, your ox is not plowing that field. If, in, in order for us to be useful in this world, and ultimately our goal in this world, reflecting back on chapters 35 through 37, ultimately our goals, our goal in this, our purpose of existence is to bring God's presence down to this world. We're in a world where God's presence seems very absent. And we're here to show the world that God is a lot more present than what, me, than what our eyes might actually tell us. In order for God to actually reside with us on a personal level, there has to be observance, uh, um, uh, um, not just observance, there has to be obedience, reverence, service. Because when we're service-focused, not just love-focused, it's not about us anymore. It's about the bigger picture. And when it's about the bigger picture, there's now room for God to reside. Take a look back on page. Um, we're going to reflect back on, on a particular line that sticks out on chapters, in chapter six. Because I think this is very important, very relevant. Um, page, where are we? Page 86. The bottom of page 86. How do you define sacred, holy? What makes something sacred or holy, right? What makes a value sacred? What makes anything in this world sacred, right? We say this is holy, this is sacred, this is mundane. How is that defined? If it's valued. Well, there's a lot of things though that are valued that are not sacred. So if it's uh, valued in the right context with godliness in mind. So, so if, well, definitely if it's something that God values, right? Yeah. There's there's a lot of things that are, you know, to go to Vegas. There's a lot of things that are Satan that are not sacred, but they're valued. <laughs> not just Vegas, but I'm I'm just giving an example. It it has to be valued by God, right? In other words, from our perspective, though, what makes it sacred? God said so. God said so, which means it centers around God, not around us. We call that bitzel. Right. In other words, Sharon, I actually like what you said. If it's valued, if the value is on it, not on us. Yeah. Does that make sense? If the focus of, is on its intrinsic value, not how it makes us feel valuable. So take a look on page 86, the, the second, the, sorry, the last bold paragraph. So there's actually one line right on top. What then is the definition of the holy side? Is everyone able to hear me still? Yes. Yeah. Okay, you tell me if you can't because my, my headphones are, are messing around with me. What then is the definition of the holy side? What does sacred mean? And the holy side includes only something into which God's holiness can be drawn and present. It's sacred if God is present. And God's presence will only rest on a thing which has surrendered its ego to him. If the focus is not about me, the focus is on something on the bigger picture on my purpose, that's sacred. Yeah. Service to God is sacred. God dwells there openly when there is service, when there's obedience. But as soon as it becomes centered about, uh, around myself, 
that's not to say that we shouldn't feel engaged and that's where the love comes in but that has that's a second step and we'll talk about that and no, that is important here mm -hmm. uh, what's interesting here is this there's there's like this repeating theme which makes sense because you can you can take that same discussion and say well okay um a relationship that's based on respect <coughs> is considered holy because it's it's about the other person it's about uh it's not about you it's about the other person right and right. it seems like this discussion of it's not about you it's about the other whatever is the re is the repeating theme here and like so many things that we're talking about and um not that you can necessarily generalize but it, it seems to be um you know kind of this encompassing uh uh theme uh that 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 really kind of is defining so much about our judaism right right a hundred percent it it that might be the essence of judaism <laughs> i shouldn't say the essence but but I mean, that's a strong word, but that is definitely a, a core value in Judaism is, you know, a core um, result in faith in God is that there's a larger purpose to humanity, that it's not about me, that there's something bigger. Can, can I add to that and say that yeah. value you have to understand somebody and respect and value what they value. And like for Hashem, you have to know what he values. So you have to learn about him and understand where he's coming from so you can be vital, so that you can actually be part of this purpose, this bigger thing. Right. And the same with every relationship. So even with other people, you need to spend time and you need to understand the value that they value, things that they value. Right. And that, and that takes bitzel. That takes making it. Because it's not, not about, about. Yeah. It's about, and then when you know what's about them, then you can help with their, I don't know, but they, yeah. to, exactly. and you, then you can love them because you respect them. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. What makes a relationship sacred? Where, when does God reside in a relationship? When, when you make space me. for him. <laughs> right. When we make space for him. I'll tell you a great story. It was in 1978. Simchas Torah. So I want you to picture this. Simchas Torah in 770 Eastern Parkway. We know how crazy Simchas Torah can get in, in any community. But imagine you're in 770 Eastern Parkway, Chabad World Headquarters. And if you think Chabad is crazy outside of its headquarters, <laughs> just wait, you see. <laughs> in Chabad headquarters on Simchas Torah is a, it, it's a big day. Because you have a room that can legally fit not 500, comfortably fit 900, and somehow 5,000 people are crammed in there. And they're dancing with the Torah. And the Rebbe is holding a Torah and seems to slow down. This is in the late 70s, so he is close to 80. I don't know the exact age. Seems to slow down. And he looks pale and proceeds to go toward a chair to sit down. People notice something's different, something's wrong. It's within minutes that the entire room is clear. 
and that there are doctors at the scene. And it didn't take long for them to set up a mobile, um, what's the word? <laughs> a mobile thing. Triage. There we go, a triage. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the, the doctor, and I don't know which doctor it was. Um, it was not too long after that where Rabbi Resnick's father was, was brought on the scene. One of the doctors was taking blood from the Rebbe. And the Rebbe asked him, let me ask you a question. What is extracting this blood? How does a needle take blood out? The doctor said, the needle's not taking blood out. The needle is where the blood is going through. It's the vacuum that's extracting the blood. When there's a vacuum of emptiness, now it's able to receive. And the Rebbe was trying to actually insinuate this insight to him and proceeded to say how some people feel empty in life. See the emptiness as an opportunity to become full. Because real bittel, bittel is this feeling that it's, that it's not about me, it's part of, part of something bigger. Real bittel doesn't mean I'm a broken vessel. That's not functional, right? <laughs> Bittal can't come at the expense of functionality. It actually, we should become more functional. Bittal means I'm an, I'm an empty vessel. I'm an available vessel. I'm available. I'm available to God. I'm available to my Judaism. Because I'm not self-absorbed. And we're kind of using the concept of reverence as well as obedience slash service, Bittel, we're using all these terms interchangeably because they overlap. They most definitely overlap. But when there's a vacuum, the point is when there's a vacuum, there's opportunity for that vacuum to become full. Now, this is great in theory. <laughs> we love theory. <laughs> in other words, it's so much fun to learn about these concepts. Very inspiring. But when it gets down to it, it can be very difficult. In other words, everything here theoretically makes sense. Now we close the book, we walk away, and how do we actually experience this deep sense of reverence and this service? Sometimes we're going to find ourselves where we're just not able to experience it. Maybe we're not open. There could be multiple reasons. But take a look on page 506 and how we address this. Top of 506, the top bold paragraph in the English. Now, even if after following the above meditative practice, we spoke about the meditative practice about God being relevant God understanding exactly not just what we're doing, but how we're feeling about what we're doing and what our mindset is. The king is right there. The king is very much present. Following that meditation, you still can't feel any sense of reverence or shame to be in the presence of God, even in your mind and thoughts. Perhaps due to the poor quality of your soul, there's different soul levels. And maybe my soul's just not charged enough. 
which was carved from its source in the lowest levels of the 10 spheres of the lowest world. We spoke about different spiritual worlds, different states of awarenesses, different souls come from different places. And maybe my soul is just not open to it or whatever the reason is. The point is I'm trying to experience this reverence, this deep sense of respect, and it's not getting anywhere. I'm not feeling it. I'm trying to meditate. I'm trying to pray. I'm trying to absorb. It's not getting anywhere. What do I do? So he says two things. Number one, and we'll address these in order. Number one, the reverence, sorry, the effort to develop this reverence, which we didn't end up feeling, was not for naught. It wasn't a waste of time because that itself is considered to be service. In other words, the reverence is the feeling or the experience. What I did to get that reverence, which is the to, to, to feel obedient, the meditation, that's the service. The act of making reverence means I feel that it's not about me. I respect. But to get myself to want to feel that, the meditative process, that's service. So even though I'm not experiencing the reverence, I can still have checked off the box when it comes to service. So take a look at the next bold paragraph. Nevertheless, even in the absence of any sense of emotional or mental reverence, since your worship is done with the intention to serve the king of the universe, it's about God, not about us, and not for your own self-gratification, it's an intact worship. This is complete. I've worshiped God. In other words, I don't, I may not feel the reverence, but the fact that I didn't make it about me and I made it about God, that itself is worship. Even if the feelings aren't yet there. So question. Yeah. When I'm doing Shafarit in the morning, um, so I'm, I'm doing Amidah and doing the blessing after the blessing, and I'm thinking <laughs> how it relates to me. <laughs> and, and I probably shouldn't be doing that. I should be thinking about, because, because it, it, we're asking God for all kinds of things, and we're, uh, we're asking him for good health. We're asking him to heal sickness. We're asking him for material things we're asking him to bring us together from the four corners of the earth we're asking it seems pretty self-centered excellent question you're looking for meaning and that kavanah means that you'll say the prayer with more meaning the next day so when you look at it in your perspective you will find the kavanah there which is it's not selfish it's more looking after your soul and making sure your soul does it with meaning and purpose I, I have gotten the feeling lately that it's too much about me. <laughs> okay, it's an excellent question. And, and especially since that's how the Amida is structured. Um, and this, this question is addressed actually in, in, in many areas. The, the short answer is if I have the right mindset, if I have the Bittal mindset, I can make it about me without being arrogant. I make it about me because I'm part of God's plan. 
I'm an integral part of God's uh, master plan and making this world a home for him. The, in other words, it, I, I, it, it's a balancing act. Because on the one hand, it's not about me. On the other hand, God needs me. He created me. So if I can feel that I'm integral, if I can feel that my life is sacred, but it's not sacred because of me, it's sacred because what makes something sacred, God decided. So now that my life is sacred and integral, making this world a home for God, praying for myself is an extension of my service to God. Does that make sense? It, it, it's a funny counterintuitive or almost paradoxical, I would say. And, and, I, and I think that's exactly fits with what Sharon's kind of saying that making it meaningful, personally meaningful is an integral part of our service to God. Because he wants to dwell in this world. He wants to dwell in our hearts. And part of that's going to need us, you know, we're going to need whatever we pray for, whether it be health or financial security, etc. It, it's a very fine balancing act. In, in other words, real humility, we're real bittles, to word it this way, doesn't mean I don't think little of myself or I don't think that I'm nothing. I just don't think that much about myself. So I'm praying for myself, but it's not about me. I'm needed. God needs me. And if God yeah. needs me, I need money. <laughs> I need health. I need strength. Yeah. Our it, needs become God's needs. Sorry. Yeah, go for it. Would it be like you get insight into what you need? And then you know that's what you need, but you know that you have to be beetle and you choose to do something else to help someone else or do what God wants. So exactly. In other words, put it this way. Why do I need it? Yeah. And you're getting you want it or do I need it? You're becoming open to understanding what you need to help something. So you know what you need, but you choose a different path. Right. Right. And it, 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 and it boils down to ask is why I need this. Well, I need yeah. to be healthy. Well, why do I need to be healthy? Because I need to serve God. Well, why do I need to serve God? Because I'm an integral part of his creation and making this world a home for it. So now it's, it, yes, I'm praying for myself, but who am I really praying for? It's like it goes full circle. Right. 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 It, it's, it's a very interesting balancing act. Now, the, the truth is, even if we don't find ourselves feeling the reverence that we've been trying to develop, so we have the service in, in the fact that we're trying to develop, get points for trying, right? But it's more than that. The truth is, we do, we may experience, we may not experience the reverence emotionally, but we do experience it conceptually. And if that's motivating our service, in other words, even if emotionally, I don't feel that it's not about me, if conceptually I understand that it's not about me and that is governing my behavior uh, rather than my emotions, 
Well, then I essentially do revere God, genuinely. Take a look on the top of 507. Or actually, sorry, the bottom of 506. The last paragraph on 506. Yeah. And what's more, even if you just have what's called Kabbalah's oil, which means accepting the yoke, obedience, and fail to feel any reverence in your mind or heart, you will in fact fulfill the minimal biblical requirement of reverence. So as long as you have a basic feeling of respect toward God, top of 507, what is the minimal reverence referring to? This minimal reverence consists of your conscious awareness. In other words, it might not, I might not feel it emotionally, but I could feel it conceptually in my mind. That at least during the specific moment when you are observing the mitzvah, you are respectful of God at least as much as you would be respectful of an ordinary human being, not a king who's watching you. Since even when being watched by a human being that you respect, you refrain from doing something that be, would be found inappropriate. So I can have a basic, basic reverence for God conceptually. I understand that he's present. I understand that he's relevant. Just like I understand the presence of a human being. And as I would refrain or be motivated to do the wrong or right thing, when a person's there, the same with God. <laughs> Rabbi Shays Taub. Rabbi Shays Taub is a great Tanya teacher. Check him up on YouTube afterwards. He created what's called the map of Tanya. He, he goes through the whole Tanya in like an aerial bird's eye view. Right? It's incredible. And he gave an analogy for this. He said he was once at going to the grocery store with his wife. And his wife had to just run and get something real quick. So it was a short trip. So he's waiting in the car in the parking lot. And he's catching up on some of his psalms uh, to Hillam. He fell behind from before and he's catching up on psalms and he's reading to Hillam in the car. And in the car next to him, there's a mother holding the hand of a young child. I don't know, maybe four or five, six years old. And the child did something that he shouldn't have, maybe ran into the street or whatever it was. And the mother starts yelling at the child. very loudly and just as if nobody's watching and there's chase towel and his two pairs of eyes right you know the eyes when something <laughs> she turns around and she sees the eyes <laughs> and she immediately stops and is speaking to the child in a lot more calm uh, tone what changed she realized somebody was watching. Right, exactly. Her awareness of somebody's watching. A basic awareness that God is watching, even if we're not feeling the respect, but a basic awareness in our minds that God is watching, that itself is considered, the does satiate or satisfy the biblical commandment to respect God. And that provides the foundation of a safe and healthy relationship. Because the mind is stronger than the heart. What we believe is stronger than what we feel. So although I feel that I want to do what I want, if I believe that God wants me to do what he wants, and I have that in my mind, that is, not, that is sufficient. 
It may not be a feeling, a strong feeling, but it's something and it's valuable. Okay, any questions or thoughts before we move on to the next thing? Reflections. Okay. Now, the truth is, as we'll discuss on page 508, this type of reverence is known as the lower level of, rel uh, of reverence. There's different types of reverences. In general, there are two classes of reverence. There's the lower type of reverence and there's the higher level of reverence. And we're going to talk about this primarily um, in chapter 43 in greater detail. But to, to just summarize both levels of reverence, the lower level of reverence that we're discussing is I respect God's will. The higher level of reverence is I revere not just God's will, but I revere him. I'm not just respecting what he wants me to do because he's watching. I feel a genuine inner respect for him. It's a much deeper level of, um, of reverence, and that's perhaps a more emotional level of reverence. And we're going to talk about that more in 43. But what we're saying here is that this reverence is sufficient, but just know it's not the ultimate. And that's okay. Thank God there's plenty of room to grow and no time to be bored. <laughs> okay. This section of the chapter on page bottom of 508 concludes telling us that even though we have the foundation, the reverence, again, that's one wing. And we need love to make, if we want the relationship to survive, we need reverence. Reverence is the core. If we want the relationship to thrive, then in addition to, to, to soar, in addition to reverence, we're going to need love. We're going to need love as well. Now, again, love itself is a very lofty feeling to experience. But again, just like reverence can be conceptual, love can be conceptual as well, and that will be sufficient. We're not saying it's ideal, but, but it's sufficient to make the relationship thrive make it functional um, let's read quickly on the bottom of 508 the last bold paragraph but in the absence of any reverence at all your mitzvah will not soar heavenward with love alone 509 just as a bird can't fly with one wing reverence and love are like the two wings as the Tikkun Zohar states next bold paragraph we'll read through them quickly and the same is true if your mitzvah is performed with reverence alone. It will not soar heavenward with just one wing. It won't thrive. It will survive. A bird can survive with one wing, right? For even though reverence alone is sufficient for your worship to be called the work of a loyal servant, although we are loyal to God with reverence, you must also worship God at the level of a loving child. On Rosh Hashanah, there's a prayer that we say, Hayom Harat Olam. Right? Today is the birthday of the world. Today the world is being judged. And we plead to God, judge us like children, judge us like servants. Check this up in the Mahzor. It's in the Musa from Prashashan, in the, in the repetition of Yamid and the Musa. 
Judge us like servants, judge us like children. We need to have both. A servant serves with reverence and a child serves with love. In other places, it's explained that serving with reverence as a servant is the body's perspective, with obedience as the body's perspective, serving with love is the soul's perspective. We have to serve God with body and soul, with our entire selves. A holistic approach to our relationship with God. How do we get this love? Love can be lofty, just like the reverence can be conceptual if need be, at least when we're starting. Love can be conceptual as well. In the middle bold paragraph, it's the second to last bold paragraph on the page. You need to at least awaken the inherent love which is dormant in your heart. And even if you don't feel it in your heart, it should be at least conscious in your mind that you recall to mind your love for the one God and your desire to connect with him. So in short, if we had to summarize in one sentence, remind ourselves that God is present and I respect him, even if I don't feel it. Remind ourselves that we have an inherent connection with God, we're his children, and we love him, even if we don't feel it. And if those conceptual perspectives motivate our service, it will thrive. I'll tell you a great story. There was a young girl, um, I'm guessing an elderly teenager. I don't know the exact age, to be honest. She lived in Borough Park. Who's been to Borough Park? I have. Okay, Borough Park is like Crown Heights on steroids. <laughs> it's where my grandparents lived. Right, right. You mentioned it, right. So she lived in Borough Park, which is a very insular um, community. It's a thriving Jewish community, though. It, it really is like Crown Heights on steroids. Um, it is, because she my grandmother used to tell me, don't go out in those shorts. They'll they'll think you're a, you're a goy. <laughs> right. That, that so that's that's Borough Park. Yeah. <laughs> so she was she was for some reason in Muncie, New York, which is a little out of the city, which is north, and she's taking a bus from Muncie to Borough Park, and the bus stopped in Crown Heights, and she didn't realize that it's going to be a long stopover, but so she got out and decided to walk around. And she discovered a long line of people. It was a Sunday. People were standing in line to get dollars from the Rebbe. So she said, okay, I'm here anyways. I'll, I'll get a dollar. Get a blessing. Experience meeting him. That's, that's the thing, right? Um, she wasn't, I believe she was not from a Chabad family, was unfamiliar with the perspective that the Rebbe had. The Rebbe hands her a dollar, says the and just says the standard, you know, blessings and greetings. And yeah, you know, looking at it this way, there's thousands of or hundreds of people in line. Most people, their interaction was, was like a second or two, <laughs> maybe three or four. Rebbe hands her the dollar, looks at her. She moves on. Rebbe calls her back. Says, Wait, come back. She comes back. Rebbe looks at her and says, you need to do... You need to observe the Torah and its mitzvahs, not just because it says it in the Jewish code of law, but because it's God's will and your soul desires to fulfill God's will. 
she was very shocked by that statement and she was actually offended by that statement. She said she was offended. <laughs> she walks away, says, you don't even know me. <laughs> Why would you judge me and think that uh, I come from an observant, uh, an observant home where Jewish observance is very much embedded in the culture of the community in my home. And you start telling, she felt accused, I guess. She was young and she wasn't at a point in her life where she was ready to hear that. She certainly was not at a point in her life where she even felt the need to hear that until years later, where as she, um, as she advanced in life and became more exposed to secular society, her observance started and, and, and she's less in Looks like my headphones just died. Can you guys hear me? Yep. Okay. Her, her she became less um, less um, sheltered, I should say, in the community, and more influenced by secular society. So her observance started becoming more. Uh, she's doing the mitzvahs, but because she was raised to do it, and then she has this flashback of years earlier. The Rebbe telling her that you need to do this not just because you were told to, but because inherently you want to. And she says it changed everything for her when she remembered that. She realized the blessing of his words years later. Now think about it. Think about the story. That doesn't mean all of a sudden she's in love with God. But what it does mean is she understands that she's a child of God, that she has a soul, and that she wants it. And even if she doesn't feel it, she gets it. And I, I, I think this is so practical because they're very often in life, more often than not, we're not going to feel it, especially if we're not in an inspired um, mode. But we can meditate and remember that even if I don't feel it, I believe it. I may not feel that I revere God, but I believe he's present. That's enough to motivate my behavior. I may not feel that I love God, but I believe I'm his child. I believe that my soul is part and parcel and yearns for him. And the more we think about that conceptually, even if we'll feel it eventually, but even if we don't, the conceptual perspective is enough to make our relationships thrive. If a couple going through, God forbid, a rough patch believe even if they don't feel that is strong that is powerful and it's the same in our relationship with god that's my story and i'm sticking to it i have a question yeah please. so if you do a mitzvah and you get nachas out of it and you feel good then you're no longer beetle because if you beetle you'll understand that it was meant to be and it's not about you you know what, it, it, you also have to look at the effects of, of the feeling. So if you do everything to do, like prayers and stuff and to do God's will and God wants you to do that and then you do it and you feel good, then you're no longer beetle. No, it, it, so if the feeling is a byproduct, what? I was going to say, you're supposed to serve God with joy. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. But, but if you're joyous, it's about you. It, it, it depends. If the feeling is a byproduct, that, that's a good thing. It's gonna motivate me. If I'm doing it for the feeling, gotcha. then, you're then doing it's it not good. So, so right? therefore, you're doing it for the motivation. So if you do it and you just keep doing it because you're getting motivation, you're doing it about you. It's well, let, let me put it this way. Let me put it this. By the way, we could, John, we could stop the recording now. But um, 